from the public affairs staff of the Columbus Dispatch, this is Buckeye Forum. Hello, welcome to Buckeye Forum. This is Jim Siegel, and I am pleased to be joined today by Democratic candidate for the 19th Ohio Senate District, Democrat Louise Valentine. The 19th District includes Delaware and Knox counties, along with a portion of northern Columbus. It is one of three Ohio Senate seats up for election in Franklin County this year, and is expected to be one of the more competitive Senate races in the state. Senator Chris Jordan, the current member representing the seat, is term-limited and is running for the House. Valentine's Republican opponent, Representative Andrew Brenner, who is trying to swap chambers, declined an invitation to appear. So, Louise, you get the mic all to yourself today. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. A little about you. Louise Valentine is an Ohio State University graduate with a bachelor's degree from the College of Human Ecology and a master's of science, working a variety of jobs along the way to help her afford her education. She started her career at Abercrombie & Fitch headquarters and then took a position with L Brands, where she has been leading a consumer testing program for seven years. She completed a six-month leadership program for rising associates and participated in volunteer activities in local central Ohio communities. She lives in Genoa Township with her husband and twin six-year-old sons. That's got to be fun campaigning with twin six-year-olds at home. <laughs> but Louise, again, thanks for being here. We appreciate you coming on and uh, and talking to you, talking to us about the issues and, and helping uh, voters be more informed. Uh, we'll just we'll start off with kind of a basic question. You know, if you win, what topic would you like to focus on first? Yeah, thank you. Education public education in particular is probably my number one priority for when I get to the state house. I really feel like public education is kind of the great equalizer that you should be able to live anywhere in the state and no matter what your background, your culture, you should be able to go to your local public school and get a great education that is going to help set you up for success. And I think that we have not made it a priority to make sure that we are equitably and fully funding our public schools. So I really want to focus on that piece of things when I get to the state or state senate. I okay. say. Excellent. We'll get more into that uh, th- those education topics here in a few minutes. First, I want to start off. You you know you've worked for you know two of the largest and most recognized companies in Central Ohio, uh, Abercrombie and Fitch and L Brands. What is your opinions uh, about the steps Ohio has taken to boost the economy, to attract companies, to uh, bring more jobs into the state? Uh, that some of those efforts have focused on tax cuts, both reducing the income tax and exempting a lot of business income from taxation and some efforts by Jobs Ohio. What's your thoughts of how the state has been doing? Yeah, I think there are certain areas of the state that have done probably a better job than others. I think the state overall, we've made some progress into getting employers to come to Ohio and open up businesses here. But I think we have quite a ways to go because there are still a lot of pockets of Ohio that are suffering, mainly in, I would say, less of the concentrated areas. So Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati um, are obviously the three bigger cities. And I know Columbus in particular, we are growing at a rapid pace. However, that is not the case across the state. And I think we need to focus on some of those less populated and rural areas to figure out how we can bring jobs there so that we don't force people out of their communities. Okay. And any thoughts on the tax cuts that they've been enacting over the past, I guess it's been a good 10 years now or more, actually probably more like 13 years. Has been. Yeah. Tax cuts are kind of a balancing act because you want to do something to entice these businesses and corporations to come into the state. But at the same time, you want to make sure that we are being able to fund the things that we need to be funding, and the businesses and corporations are a huge, um, they're a huge piece of that. Okay. 
moving on to to education, you know, you you've been highly critical of your opponent's support of ECOT, uh, mm-hmm. which is the online charter school that closed in January amid problems with inflated enrollment. And ECOT school leaders are now being sued by the state attorney general for tens of millions of dollars. What should lawmakers have done about ECOT prior to 2015, and what should happen going forward with other e schools that are still operating? Yeah. So the biggest problem I think with ECOT is, well, a couple of problems, but number one was kind of the lack of regulation that went on with the school. The school and many of these e-schools and you know charter schools in general are not held to the same accountability standards and the same auditing standards as the public schools are. So ECOT got away with having students enrolled that weren't logging in and they were overcharging the state for these students that weren't actually learning or doing anything for a very long time because the audits weren't going on like they should have been and there were no regulations in place to kind of go back and say, okay, what is going on here? So we need to make sure that we are regulating those charter schools exactly the same as we're doing our public schools. It's also kind of a public service to do it that way because then parents can actively compare their public school versus charter options to see which one, you know, which ones are doing better than others and they can kind of make a solid, you know, apples to apples comparison. So that's one of the things. The other thing that has been rampant with this ECOT scandal is kind of this pay to play mentality. So ECOT gave lots of money to various different um, legislative you know, representatives and senators and, you know, all, all the way up to the auditor. And that really, I think, helped those legislators, senators and statewide, you know, office holders to kind of turn their heads and not look the problem square in the face because they were getting campaign contributions from the CEO of ECOT. So when you have a CEO for a company or a for-profit charter or whatever it happens to be, and they're giving lots of money to those in power making the regulations, there is going to be a little bit of you know suspiciousness going on there. Okay. Well, outside of ECOT and uh, and e schools, you know, what's your opinion of Ohio's charter school system in general? The way that it's funded, the way that it currently operates. Are there changes do you th- that you think need to be made in general to Ohio's charter school system? Yes, absolutely. There is a place for charter schools, I think, in Ohio. I know that, I believe it's in Westerville, there is a charter school that is specifically for kids with autism. And that's fantastic if they're not doing well, you know, in a public school setting, then a specialized school for them might be a better option. However, again, we need to make sure that regulations are in place and we have not done enough even up until now to make sure that those are there so that our tax dollars aren't being wasted. With the funding structure, I think we need to make sure that it's coming directly from the state instead of kind of this pass through where, you know, if a child at Westerville decides to go to ECOT or Ohio Virtual Academy or wherever, the money has to come out of Westerville's budget instead of totally from the state's budget. So that's actively hurting the public schools. Okay. And speaking of school funding, and that'll kind of move on to our next question, there are a number of districts on the cap right now, including mm-hmm. Olentangy District, which is the big district in your, in you know, in, in the Senate district uh, yeah. you're, you're hoping to represent. And when we say they're on the cap, that means the, the school districts do not get as much money as the formula says they should get. Basically, the state capped it uh, so that you only got a certain percentage over what you would receive the prior year. I think I can't remember the number now. It's something like two or three percent. But for Olentangy, I, I believe it's more, it's something in the range of $40 million a year that they are missing out on in state funding because of the cap. Now, 
Now, there are other issues as well. Some experts say some poor districts and urban districts still need more help addressing the income achievement gap. In your opinion, what, what is wrong with Ohio's school funding formula right now, and how should the state approach fixing it? Yeah, so the school funding formula has been ruled. It was ruled unconstitutional three times over, and the fourth time they kind of just gave up and said, we don't know what to do with this. It relies, the problem is, is that it relies too heavily on property taxes. And I believe with the report cards that came out just recently, there is almost a direct correlation between how affluent your district is and where your achievement levels are. So that just goes to show you that the affluent districts can afford to sink a lot more money into their public schools. And, you know, those schools are doing well. Some of the poorer areas are not able to do that through tax levies and local taxes, and they're not doing as well. Now, that obviously doesn't account for everything that's going on, but we need to make sure that we are taking that burden of a lot of those local property taxes off of some of the homeowners and that we are more equitably funding kind of through a different means. Now, what that different means is I'm I'm not an expert on taxation. (laughs) So what we need to do, in my opinion, is to get a group of experts. We need to get administrators, teachers, you know, parents, students, economic advisors for the state of Ohio, legislators all around the table and sit down and start looking at maybe in other states, what's working, what's not, what could we possibly implement here? What would the kind of consequences be for implementing plan A versus plan B? And really at the heart of all of this, making sure that before we start into it, that we truly do some research to understand what it costs to educate a child. So what it costs to educate your standard student, what it costs to educate a student with disabilities and making sure that we have those numbers because we've never really done that in the state of Ohio. We kind of just have a random number that says, okay, this is what everybody gets as their flat number um, in terms of dollars per student. Okay. We are uh, talking today with Louise Valentine, the Democratic candidate of the 19th Ohio Senate District, which includes Northern Columbus, Delaware, and Knox counties. Kind of shifting uh, away from education to some other issues. You know, Ohio is a concealed carry state, which means you're you know you're allowed to carry a concealed handgun. And uh, since its passage over a decade ago, Ohio lawmakers have steadily loosened the restrictions on uh, on where you can carry a gun and the and the. Uh, requirements in order to qualify for a concealed carry permit. The latest debate involves an issue known as stand your ground, which deals with a duty to retreat during a confrontation. Would you support a uh, a stand your ground law? And what is your opinion of where Ohio gun laws stand today? I would absolutely not support a stand your ground law. I believe even law enforcement, I believe, is opposed to this because it just creates it just creates a system in which you really don't have to take any steps before you shoot and kill somebody. So it creates more issues at the judicial level with the police. It's I do not believe that that is a law that is going to promote safety Um, in terms of our gun laws in general in Ohio. I think that some of the more recent proposals that have come up in the Senate and I believe the House as well having to do with red flag laws, making sure that we are not letting domestic abusers, for example, have access to weapons temporarily when they are in the throes of some of these issues with their spouses or partners. More women are killed by firearms during domestic violence issues than a lot of other scenarios. So we need to make sure that they are protected. And if somebody is you know, a domestic abuser, we need to make sure that they don't have access to those weapons when, like I said, they're going through some of those tough times. Um, so something like a red flag law would be good. I think universal background checks are another one that I would be wholly in favor of. I don't understand. If you have nothing to hide in your background, then I don't understand what the issue would be with having a universal background check. 
So okay. moving on to more the healthcare realm, uh, Medicaid expansion, uh, an initiative pushed by Governor John Kasich uh, four years ago, has been opposed to various degrees by a number of Republican lawmakers. It now provides health care coverage to about 650,000 Ohioans, and uh, it'll cost about $5.2 billion by 2020, but the federal government is going to pick up uh, 90% of the cost. Um, do you support continuing the expansion, and uh, are there any restrictions or requirements that you would add? I absolutely would support uh, continuing that Medicaid expansion. It gave, like you said, 650,000 Ohioans access to medical care that they didn't previously have. And that is also helping quite a bit to get people treatment with the opioid crisis and the drug epidemics that are ravaging Ohio right now. So pulling that out from those people who are seeking treatment or will be seeking treatment, I don't think is going to benefit the state in any way. I don't believe that there should be a work requirement on Medicaid. A lot of the people on Medicaid are already working. They may be working two part-time jobs and neither one of them pay benefits. They may be working a job that's low paying where they're not qualifying for, you know, different forms of insurance. So, and a lot of those people who are on Medicaid as well, they may have disabilities that prevent them from actually going out and working. So, I don't necessarily think that a work requirement is going to do anything. It's not going to achieve anything differently. Okay. And speaking of uh, the drug crisis, obviously the the opioid crisis crisis in Ohio has killed about 12,000 Ohioans in the last three years. Uh, you mentioned the, the Medicaid expansion, but are there things, other things the state should be doing as well that they're maybe not doing right now? And, and how could, uh, or, or are there things they're doing now that they could do better? I think my number one help for this crisis, so we've got our rainy day fund, which has $2.8 billion in it. And if it's not raining right now for people who are struggling with these drug addictions, I'm not quite sure when it will be raining that we will need to use some of those funds. So I would advocate for maybe using even just 5% of those rainy day funds to put towards more medical treatment, more providers, more professionals to help people get into treatment when they're ready for it. So in some areas, when you are ready for treatment, treatment and you go to you know a facility, they can bring you in right away. For other areas, there's a wait list. And in two, four weeks, whenever you might get a call back to come back to the facility because a bed is ready, you may be off somewhere using again and they may not be able to find you. So we need to make sure that the treatment, the facilities, the professionals are there whenever we need it. So I think we need more of those to be able to handle just the sheer number that we have going on right now. Okay. I think the math in my head, I think if 5% of that would be about 135, $140 million, I, I believe. What do you say to those like like Governor Kasich who say, no, the, the rainy day fund should absolutely be hands off until we're in a, in a serious budget crisis and we need to, to use it then? I'd like to know what the serious budget crisis looks like per se. Um, like I said, if if we can't if we have a savings account and we can't use that savings account to really help people out when there is a crisis, and that is what this is right now is a crisis, then I'm not really sure that we would ever touch it under Republican administration. Okay. Once again, we are talking with Louise Valentine, the Democratic candidate for the 19th Ohio Senate District, which includes Northern Columbus, Delaware, and Knox counties. One question I have: you know, when you look at this district. Um, Delaware and any district, any Senate district or, or legislative district at all with Delaware and Knox County in it normally would not be considered one of the more competitive seats. Um, traditionally in Ohio, those of Knox has been very red. Uh, Delaware has been solidly red uh, for, for years. Now, you, you also have, because Senate districts are made up of three House districts, the one House district is, is in Franklin County. That is definitely a blue House district. There's no doubt about yeah. that. But much of the district uh, normally is red. Is there something about the district that's changed? that's happening uh, that is 
that is making this more of a, of a competitive race this time than maybe we've seen in the past? So Delaware County is definitely changing um, in terms of demographics, in terms of mindset. So a lot of those school systems in southern Delaware County and even the city of Delaware, so Westerville, Dublin, Olentangy, they are attracting a lot of young families and young professionals looking to start families because of those great school districts there. I mean, to be quite honest, that's why my husband and I and our kids live there is because Westerville is a good school district and it was relatively reasonably priced for us to be able to live there. So having an influx of families, younger families that have a little bit different mindset than maybe some of the other folks who have been there for quite a while is starting to shift some of the viewpoints on um, some different issues. So public education has been a really big point to talk with about constituents in the area because these constituents, these families, are sending their kids to the public schools there, and that's why they're there. So a lot of these issues, we're really finding a lot of common ground, even with, you know, I'm a Democrat, but even with moderate Republicans, a lot of unaffiliated, where they are really connecting with, we need to make sure we're funding our public schools fairly. We need to make sure that we are, you know, trying to lower health care costs, and we need to make sure that we are bringing in jobs into the state so that when our kids reach that point where they're graduating high school or graduating college, they don't necessarily have to leave the state in order to find good paying, solid jobs that they're going to be able to have good careers in. Okay. Is the Trump factor having playing a role, <laughs> particularly in, like in southern Delaware County? Or? Yeah, I think definitely a little bit. There are you know, some Trump voters who are, they love Trump, they're dead set on Trump, and, you know, that's their prerogative. But there are others who either voted for Trump and are having regrets, or they didn't vote for Trump, but they've always voted Republican, and they are really upset with the state of politics, both at the federal and the state levels right now, and they're ready for change. And to be quite honest, that's why I'm running in this race, is because I'm just ready to see some change, something different at the state house. Okay. One of the things that they've also been dealing with at the state house for a long time is the local government funding. Um, mm-hmm. Ohio's uh, cities and townships and, uh, and counties right now are getting about $1.2 billion less in annual funding uh, compared to 2018 uh, due to the uh, cuts in local government fund and some tax changes like the elimination of the estate tax. Uh, what, if anything, should be done to address this? Yeah, we hear a lot of complaints on the campaign trail about the lack of funding in these local government funds. And, you know, up in Knox County in particular, we've heard from, you know, several different parties up there that they're struggling to be able to fix, you know, roads and bridges and those sorts of things because they just don't have the finances. There's not Knox County in comparison to Delaware and Franklin County, obviously, has a much smaller population. So less people paying taxes and then the less money coming from the state government. So I think we definitely need to take a look at how we can increase the funding for those local governments um, so that they do have the resources to maintain their infrastructures because a road is a road. Regardless if two people live in your town or two million people live in your town, people are still going to use those roads and you need to make sure that you're maintaining them for safety's sake. Okay. And we're now going to move on to what I just call the quick hit round or a series of questions that are designed more for uh, kind of uh, briefer answers. Um, So we'll just get started there. Louise, Ohio's uh, minimum wage right now is $8.30 per hour, and it increases annually with inflation. Um, Is that a good rate, or is it too low or too high? It is too low. If you are working 40 hours a week and earning $8.30 an hour, you cannot afford to live, let's say, in Franklin County comfortably. So, And that's with just yourself, let alone having any children or a family. So I 
definitely think that we need to increase that minimum wage. You have a number in mind? Uh, I would definitely advocate for increasing to $12 fairly quickly and then having a plan within a year or two to make sure that that is at $15 an hour. I think $15 an hour is at least going to get people to where they aren't struggling. Okay. Do you agree with the recent legislation passed to crack down on the rates charged by the payday lending industry? Absolutely. A lot of folks who are using payday lenders, they are in dire situations. I mean, I think over half of Americans can't afford a $500 emergency. So where do you turn when you need to, let's say, fix your car to be able to get to work? You go to these payday lenders because that's your only option, and they are just raking you over the coals in these fees so that you can never get out from under it. So, okay. Medical marijuana is legalized in Ohio and will soon be available. Uh, do you support legalizing recreational marijuana? I would have to take a look at a little bit of research on what has happened in Colorado since they have legalized it to see, you know, what things have been successful, what things maybe haven't been successful or things that they didn't anticipate that may be cons to the law. But I would be interested in seeing the research to make an informed decision on that. Okay. You've been working for L Brands. Uh, mm-hmm. The company owner, Les Wexner, said a month ago that he is no longer a Republican. Mm-hmm. Uh, did this surprise you? I'll honestly say no, because having worked at the company, I know pretty quickly after the 2016 election, Les will sometimes send out like memos to all employees in the company. And sometimes they're handwritten. Sometimes he types them out. And sometimes they have to do with you know financial situations that are going on L Brands, or sometimes they have to do with just thoughts he has on his mind. And to be quite honest, some of those memos that were coming out very shortly after the 2016 election wasn't calling out Trump per se, but they were reiterating that we are a company of tolerance. We are a company that treats each other with respect. We are a company that is going to work together. And there was really no prompt for this other than what was going on, I think, politically at the Mm -hmm. time. So it didn't necessarily surprise me that he had those views. I think it was kind of surprising that he came right out and said it. Okay. Very good. Well, Luis, that's all the questions I have. At this point, I'd just like to give you a chance. I'll give you a minute or two to uh, for some final thoughts or to, to touch on any issues that we may not have uh, addressed so far today. All right. Sounds good. So we have uh, just a handful more days before the final election uh, on November 6th. And I am, you know, my campaign is in full swing. We've been out knocking on doors. We've knocked over 20,000 doors. We're making phone calls, sending postcards just to make sure that people know that they have a choice this year in this particular district. So like you mentioned, this district has never voted Democrat, never voted a woman into office. And I think people are ready for change. That's why I'm running. I want to make sure that my kids have every opportunity to be successful right here in Ohio. And I didn't necessarily see that happening with how things were currently going. And if we just elect more of the same and my opponent and the current state senator are trying to just swap seats, if we just keep electing more of the same, you're going to get more of the same. So if you think everything has been going 100% awesome and you wouldn't change a thing, then you may keep voting that way. But if you think there's room for improvement like I do, and we've been hearing a lot of that from voters, I think that it's time to vote in some change and see what else we can do to make Ohio better. Okay. Louise Valentine, Democratic candidate for the Ohio Senate 19 District. Thank you very much for joining us. That was my pleasure. Thank you. And for Patrick Flaherty on the board, this has been Jim Siegel. We appreciate you listening here to another Buckeye Forum podcast. You, of course, can find all the podcasts at dispatch.com slash podcast. Go to dispatch.com, of course, for all of your political information and including a voter's guide that will help keep you as an informed citizen and an informed voter. Remember to vote on November 6th or before. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.